0: Father, we thank you for all of the good gifts that we have. Uh, we take time to uh, name them and identify them and give you praise for them. As we come this morning in worship, we pray that our hearts would be further sh- further shaped into uh, the image of your son's heart, that we would look and act and relate to others um, the way that your son did, that we would be conformed to his image so that we might experience the same love that you have for your son, so that we might know what it's like to be the children, of sons and daughters of the Father. I pray that your spirit would come this morning and that he would fill this place and fill our hearts so that we might be transformed through an encounter with you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, it is good to see everyone this morning. One of my favorite things about serving in ministry is being able to watch young people grow up and develop and being able to see uh, folks come from all kinds of different circumstances and situations and kind of blossom and flower into the leaders of the church, not just tomorrow, but today, right now. Um, If you're new to Sweetwater Christian, I was hired on here when I was 20 years old. And so big mistake, okay, but it it turned out all right. But so we have kind of written inside of our culture this kind of belief that youth aren't tomorrow's leaders and that the youth, young people, aren't um, something that we we put our hope in for later, but they're a part of the church right now. Um, And so today as we celebrate a couple of our fantastic... Uh, students going to college, a time of choosing your priorities. Um, We uh, flip into the Sermon on the Mount, which we have been studying, where Jesus has been talking about priorities. And so um, the last few weeks, Jesus has been saying that whenever we obey him, whenever we practice righteousness, when we fast, when we pray, when we give to the poor, we should do it just for the Father's reward, just out of obedience and love for God. Our priorities should be in the right place. And Jesus continues on this morning. If you have a Bible, flip with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most famous sermon. He continues talking about priorities, but he switches a bit and starts talking about money, everyone's favorite topic. We've talked about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus kind of upsets just about everybody at one point during the Sermon on the Mount, and so... Um, You have kind of three big sacred cows still today, I think, in uh, Christian culture, um, still running loose. They've been here since the, um, you know, throughout history, Um, you know, violence, right? Romantic activities, are the kiddos in here? And then money, and today Jesus will address money. He's already talked about the others, Uh, so we'll read Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24. Jesus says this, If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And finally, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God and mammon, here's the Greek word for money, was considered kind of a pseudo-God back in the ancient world. People tend to worship mammon. God, or Jesus here, puts it next to God in terms of like, mano y mano. You have to choose between God and money. And most of us have probably seen this in the world. There is this kind of pooling, luring power that money has over our lives. And money has the temptation to change us. Money has the um, you know, ability to bring with it lots of potential missteps in our Christian faith. And so, what we have here in this passage is three different analogies or illustrations of the same point. And, and Jesus' point here this morning in this passage is that people who are following him, people who are living in the kingdom, kingdom citizens, should disentangle themselves from a love and an obsession with their possessions, with money that we should learn and grow out of being stuff people, money people, mammon people, and instead be generous, instead put our priorities in the right place. So his first example here is about where our treasures are and the temporality of treasures built here on earth. When Jesus says, lay up treasures for yourself, not on earth, um, but treasures in heaven, what he's talking about with treasures is... Um, not just the same as possession. So he does mean stuff. He, he does mean don't just hoard up your stuff. Jesus tells many parables about what happens to people who just hoard up their stuff. This is a bad use of the gift that you've been given. It's a bad use of the blessings that you've had. But it, it goes, I think, beyond possessions. It's an accumulation of things as a focus of joy. right? It's, it's, it's a joyful sense of acquiring your treasure, what you're searching after, what you're looking for what you're, what you're, 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 you're um, you know, putting your effort and energy into to getting because you enjoy it, you find joy in it. And one scholar says this, this sin, this treasure-hunting sin, may be defined as the spirit of grasping greed, the insatiable longing for more of material possessions and a consequent lack of contentment, and an absence of trust in God our Father, who has promised to supply all needful things to his children." Jesus makes a point that we're all familiar with, that treasures on earth are temporary. They break down. They, ru- they rust. People break in and steal. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, um, said that the god Maimon had three uh, trustees, moth, rust, and thieves. And he would send them out to make sure that people could not keep his stuff. It's kind of like a trap door. It's a treadmill you get on if you run after stuff, because it ends up falling out from beneath you. Things don't last forever. Um, You, I'm sure, have purchased something, or you sure have uh, started to enjoy something, and then, of course, it kind of goes away. Um, We make bad investments in life. This is really what Jesus is getting at, right? What are you investing in right now? Are you investing in something that's going to last, or are you investing in, like, a dud investment? So when I was in college, I thought it would be a good idea to build up a collection of DVDs of my favorite movies. And I thought, for sure, there's never going to be a technology that comes that gets rid of the need to have nice DVDs of your favorite movies. And sure enough, (laughs) you have streaming services. I have a closet now full of dozens of DVDs that will never, ever be used. Things come and things go. Jesus instead says, search after, make your treasure, things that are in heaven. Now, what he's saying here is not um, just that we should concentrate on what will happen for us after we die. Heaven is where God lives. It's where the kingdom is held that we are, as Jesus' people, trying to bring an experience to earth right now. And when he says, store up your treasures in heaven, he's talking about kind of a moral um, transition. He's talking about an eternal um, timeline, an eternal perspective on the things that we do. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does last? What doesn't rest, destroy, have thieves come and break in and steal? And to answer that question, we have to think long-term. What is it that lasts in our world? And if you think long-term, as a Christian, you start to think of eternity. You start to think of the timeline that's much bigger than our timeline right here, our short little time here on earth. You, You get a cosmic scope of what is permanent and what's not permanent. Um, we did a series a long time ago called Virtue Ethics, and, and we talked about an approach to, to look at decision-making that um, starts with the end in mind. So virtue ethics is, you, what kind of person do I want to be? And then you reverse-engineer that and say, okay, what steps can I take today that will turn me into that type, type, type of person? And, and with ethics, when it comes to the Christian faith, it's kind of the same thing that's going on in the Scriptures on multiple occasions. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that only a few things will last. There's only a few things that will really make a difference and stay with us and stay with creation for all of eternity. This is faith, hope, and love. Other things aren't going to be needed anymore. Like So that spirit of greed, that, that spirit of treasure hunting, is not going to be needed once you're on the new heavens and earth when we're enjoying all of God's abundance freely, when we're loving God, receiving his love, and loving one another. It's not practical. It's, it's a temporary thing. And so Jesus instead says kingdom people should be doing kingdom things. They should be loving God. They should be loving others. They should be pursuing justice as the way that we're called to love others, as God his valued creations around us. We should live a life that drives for peace, that pursues peace. We should strive for wisdom instead of just knowledge. These are things that will last into the new creation. These are things that will last into eternity. So Jesus says, don't, don't make a bad investment here. And then he starts talking about the eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. This is really interesting because in the first century, they had a different view of how light worked than how we do. So when we think about light in our eyes, we see light out in front of us, and it comes into our eyes and then into our minds, right, and into our bodies. This is a a theory called intermission. Um, Back in the first century, they actually believed something different, and it might sound kind of weird to us, but it's called extramission. The idea was this, that light actually comes out of your body through your eye and illuminates the world in front of you. Um, Don't think like aliens, okay? It's not like laser eyes, right? Think more like philosophical... The eye is a window, um, and, and what you put out into the world, what you see in the world, is a reflection of what is on the inside. Imagine if you were driving uh, in the dark late one night, and you tried to switch the headlights of your car on, and nothing happens. All of a sudden, you realize how dark it is. You have no kind of compass to see you through. You have no directions. This is what Jesus means to me. He says how dark the darkness would be. If your light is, if your eye is bad. Um, The words for healthy and bad actually could be translated and are often translated in your New Testament as generous and stingy. Which would make them, this little second illustration, fit better with the first and the last. Keep this kind of money theme. Possession, stuff, mammon. What Jesus is saying here is that the inner light of God's grace, if we are people who are transformed by what God has done for us through his Son and continues to do through his Spirit, then we will put out into the world acts of righteousness and justice. Then just like God is generous, we will be generous. Our belief in who God is will Reflect the way we behave in the world we'll reflect how we relate to one another we'll reflect the way we relate to our stuff in the next passage we'll look at next week, Jesus talks about um, why we should not be anxious, why we don't need to hoard up stuff and it's because God freely provides we don't need to be anxious, we don't need to worry, we don't need to stockpile because God is an abundant God God's a gracious God. God owns everything and he owns more than you could ever own and so it's it's a better decision to let go of all your things and follow Christ and trust that the Father will provide for you. He moves on and closes this passage by saying that you can't serve two masters. You'll hate one or you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one. You'll despise the other. You can't serve God and money. He's applying here the first commandment of the Old Testament. You shall not worship anyone but the Lord. And he's saying, look at this in the context of stuff. Stuff, money, possessions. They have this ability to draw worship. So what Jesus is talking about here in this passage is not an economic policy. He's not giving instructions for a tax reform. He's not giving instructions for any kind of like world order. He's talking about worship. He's talking about idolatry. Who are you serving? Where are your eyes lifted at? And Jesus very clearly, very strongly says you can't Choose both. You have to choose one or the other. And the fear is that we might fool ourselves into thinking we'll be the only ones who can actually serve both. I'll be able to take care of money. It won't grow and gra- grasp me. It won't, it won't transform me. It won't take me away from the path of following Jesus. I'll be the one who can serve both God and money and Jesus seems to think there's a clear break here you've got to choose one or the other now in the in the past few hundred years Christians have started talking about money in much more of a capitalistic um, world in terms of um, in kind of neutral terms so money is a tool right and if you're greedy you'll use it for greedy things if you're generous you'll use it for generous things. Um, I want to push back on that a little bit this morning and suggest that there's a long and rich philosophical and religious and even Jewish and Christian tradition of thinking of money as something that is not neutral, as something that actually does transform you, as something that actually does have the power to lure you. Anyone who's ever gotten a raise or a big promotion or a new job knows that this is the case, right? When you make a bigger paycheck, you have bigger bills to pay. You have more stuff going on. All of a sudden, you're more concerned. You're more worried. Greed has the ability to kind of duplicate itself. The greedy get greedier and greedier and greedier. You know, I can prove the point to you. Our stuff, money, often changes us in ways we can't imagine. Um, So one of the things we hear a lot, I hear a lot aimed at younger people is the ruinous effect of smartphones on our society. Um, Because we have smartphones, right, instead of talking to other people, we're at a restaurant and we're scrolling through Twitter or Instagram. We're looking at a news article. um, We have been kind of transformed by our smartphones. We got stuff and then that stuff got us. And there's this Constant temptation that comes along with money to worship me, to pursue me, stockpile me, that Jesus says here is incompatible with the life in the kingdom. And so I think three conclusions we can draw from this passage. The first is we need to think about the future more often, I think. Not just the like lowercase f future, like the rest of your life, but like the cosmic future, What what is really important in our world? What is really going to last? What decisions will you make that you won't ever regret? Versus decisions that probably you might regret, or at least, best case, won't really matter in the long run. And we think in this more cosmic scope, I think we can be freed up to pursue lives of love and justice and peace and wisdom. We can simplify our lives. We can focus on worshiping God and and pursuing his kingdom. I think we also have to kind of evaluate ourselves. If the kingdom of Jesus doesn't reshape our approach to possessions and money, then I don't think we're living out the kingdom vision. We could say it like this. Jesus talks about it um, when he talks about enemy love, he says, if you love the people who love you, congratulations. What have you done? Everyone does that. He says, what about that makes you uh, a recipient of God's grace? What about that highlights how good God has been in your life? What about that shows the transformed nature of one whose new creation in Christ? There's nothing. You're doing the exact same thing as everybody else around you. And the same, I think, could be said about our stuff, our possessions. Is there anything that differentiates the Christian community from the rest of the world? In terms of money and wealth and possessions? Or do we act and think like everybody else? Do we do we treat money, are we so generous with our money, are we so open handed with possessions, that it could only be explained by the kingdom? That, that it really only makes sense if one understood that there was a new creation coming. That heaven was coming down to earth in the person of Christ and in his kingdom. And it's less about actions. It's less about words. The acid test is not what we say. It's what we do. It's not what we promise in words. It's what we, it's what we give in money. Um, not to, um, you know, just... You know, the church, I'm not trying to like, collect money here this morning, but to poor people, what we, what we give away, how we purposely simplify our lives, how we say no to money. I mean, imagine that. Imagine you had the opportunity to go make more money or, or you could open the door and grab more money. Imagine saying no to that. Because I think in Jesus' vision of the kingdom, that's a live possibility. It's a live possibility. There would be someone who says, "No, thank you." That's dangerous. I'd rather I'd rather simplify. This is going to this is going to be an, a, a test, a, a trial, a temptation on um, my desire and loyalty to worship God and God alone. And then, lastly, I think we we have to um, let who God is, the generosity of God. Um, transform us from the inside out. It's only when we recognize that God is a generous God, that God is a God who owns all stuff, that we then are freed up to be generous people. You know, you can't guilt people, I think, into living faithfully when it comes to stuff and possessions. You can't berate people into it. You can't, well, you can, but you shouldn't manipulate people into it. It's got to be this inner transformation that comes just by seeing the finished work of God on the cross, by beholding Jesus' resurrection, by experiencing the Spirit's work in you and allowing Him to move through you. So this morning, as we um, think about our priorities, as we think about whether we're living faithfully with our our stuff, with our possessions, with our wealth. I pray that we would pattern our lives off of the God who has been revealed to us in Jesus. God of grace and love and open-ended generosity. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We thank you for...